Let's read Daniel 7. The word of God in the seventh chapter of the prophecy of Daniel. We'll read the entire chapter, and it is the entire chapter that is my text for tonight. The word of God at Daniel 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second, like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I beheld, and lo, another, like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth, it devoured and brake in pieces, and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. I beheld then, because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, I beheld even till the beast was slain, and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away. Yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. 
I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down, and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them. And he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws. And they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. But the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Hitherto is the end of the matter. 
As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me, and my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. There ends our reading of God's word this evening. May the Lord add his blessing to our reading of the Holy Scripture. With this seventh chapter of the prophecy of Daniel, the characteristic of the book changes. Up until this time, in the first six chapters of the prophecy, history was recorded. Historical narrative centered around Daniel and his three friends and their captivity among God's people, first in Babylon and then in the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. Now, beginning with chapter 7 through to the end of the book, we have prophecy prophecy, and along with it, visions and symbols, beasts, wild beasts, and animals, and horns. Now, so to speak, beginning with chapter 7, we're taken behind the scenes behind the scenes in order to see the reality of the conflict that is working itself out in time and in history. The great conflict between the cause of Christ in the world and Antichrist, the cause of the kingdom of darkness and the powers of darkness as they manifest themselves in history, climaxing in the great kingdom of Antichrist at the end of the ages. Although in many respects, the material in the book of Daniel changes the theme remains the same. That is the theme of the triumph of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ over the kingdoms of this world. In chapter 7, the book goes back some years to the first year of the reign of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Belshazzar, as you may recall, was the grandson and the successor of Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 5 recorded his overthrow and the overthrow of the kingdom of Babylon.
by Darius the Mede. You will remember the mysterious handwriting that appeared on the wall. Handwriting that had to do with Belshazzar and his kingdom. The handwriting that Daniel interpreted. The handwriting that meant that Belshazzar's kingdom had been weighed and found wanting. That very night, Darius the Mede overthrew the kingdom of Babylon and put Belshazzar to death in the place of the kingdom of Babylon. Now we have the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. But early in the reign of Belshazzar, Daniel, who had interpreted the dreams of others, was himself given a dream, a vision. And that's the content of Daniel chapter 7. In this dream, God revealed to Daniel both the course of history to the very end of time and the plans that God had in store for his church were given in the vision of this seventh chapter a bird's eye view of history all the way to the end, an overview of everything that lies in the future for us, especially for our children and our grandchildren, in the four beasts that arise out of the sea, the outstanding feature of this history is set before us, the development and the rise to power of the kingdom of Antichrist. Consider with me this evening the vision of the beasts out of the sea. Let's notice three things together. First of all, the identity of these four beasts. Secondly, the bloodthirsty character of the beasts. And finally, the ultimate destruction of these beasts. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. In that vision, Daniel beheld the four winds of heaven thriving upon the great sea, the Mediterranean Sea. The result of that thriving of the four winds of the heavens was the four beasts that arose out of the sea, each of them different from the other. The first 
of those beasts was like a lion, but had eagle's wings. As Daniel looked, the eagle's wings were plucked, and the beast was lifted up off the earth and made to stand upon its feet like a man, and a man's heart was given to it. The second beast was like a bear. As Daniel beheld, the bear raised itself up on its haunches. It stood up like a man. Daniel saw in the mouth of this bear three ribs between its teeth. To this bear, a command was given. The command, arise, devour much flesh. The third beast was like a leopard. On its back, however, were wings, four wings. And to this beast were given four heads, and dominion was given to it. The fourth beast was unique. The fourth beast was especially dreadful, exceedingly fearful. It had great iron teeth. It had claws of brass. With its feet, it devoured and it stamped and break in pieces. The outstanding feature of this fourth beast was that on its head it had ten horns. And while Daniel beheld, there came up yet another horn, a little horn, little at least at first, before whom three of the other horns were plucked up by their roots. This little horn had eyes, and the horn had a mouth, a mouth that spoke great things. Verse 8, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. And the first part of verse 11. I beheld then, because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, Daniel is given the interpretation of his vision. He's given an interpretation of his vision by an angel sent from God, an angel who stood beside him, verses 16 and 17. 
I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. The four beasts represent four kings, four successive kings, and their kingdoms. An analysis of Daniel's vision here shows that the four kingdoms represented are the same four kingdoms that were represented much earlier in the book. In another vision, that was the vision of Nebuchadnezzar, the vision of Daniel chapter 2. You children will remember the details of that vision. An image with a head of gold, with arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, and feet part of iron and part of clay. What happened to that image? That stone that was cut out of the mountain without any human hand by God, in other words, rolled down the mountain and smashed the image to pieces. The four kings and kingdoms represented in Nebuchadnezzar's vision are now represented in Daniel's vision. The four kings and kingdoms are the last four great Old Testament manifestations of the kingdom of Antichrist. That's what they represent. The first beast, the lion with eagle's wings, represents the Babylonian kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, the head of gold on the image that Nebuchadnezzar saw. The reference to the feathers being plucked is undoubtedly a reference to the time when God made Nebuchadnezzar to live like a beast in the field with the animals. The second beast, the bear, with those three ribs in its teeth, represents the Medo-Persian Empire, the empire that conquered Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar's great kingdom. It represents especially Darius, the first great king of the Medes and the Persians. The third beast, the leopard, with its wings on its back, is a reference to the Greek kingdom, and especially to the great Greek king, Alexander the Great. The four heads 
undoubtedly refer to the four generals of Alexander's army who divided up his kingdom after his sudden and unexpected death. The last beast, the unnamed beast, it isn't like a lion or a leopard or a bear. It isn't compared to any beast in creation. The beast that had iron teeth and claws of brass and ten horns on its head represents the kingdom of Rome. The last great Old Testament manifestation of the kingdom of Antichrist, the kingdom of the Caesars. What we must emphasize and what is important to see is the perspective of Daniel's vision. The vision is not limited to the actual kingdoms represented by the beasts in the vision. But the perspective is broader. It includes much more than just those historical kingdoms and their kings. This is evident from verse 12, which informs us that the lives of the first three beasts were prolonged. That's what we read, prolonged for a season and a time. Their dominion was taken away, but the spirit of those kings and their kingdom lived on, lived on, until the very end of time. Besides, the reference to and the description of the great judgment of the ancient of days indicates that we must see something of significance in this chapter that takes us to the very end of the New Testament dispensation, the very end of time when the great judgment is going to take place. That which is sketched out in the chapter must be seen, therefore, as going through a double fulfillment. The first fulfillment runs through the four kingdoms and their historical manifestations at the end of the Old Testament, but there's another fulfillment, an ultimate fulfillment, a fulfillment that carries us to the end of the New Testament, that carries us to the final manifestation of Antichrist, the final manifestation of the kingdom of Antichrist that all these Others were types of and pointed 
too. The history of the final manifestation of Antichrist that leads up to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what this chapter is about. What is represented to us by the four beasts, and especially by that little horn that arises on the head of the fourth beast, supplanting three of the other horns, is the development of Antichrist himself. The culmination of all those historical types of Antichrist in the Antichrist of the end of time. That these beasts represent the final Antichrist is plain from a comparison of Daniel's vision to the vision of Antichrist that is recorded in Revelation chapter 13. In Revelation 13, we have the description of the final Antichrist. The first two verses of Revelation 13 read, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon, that's Satan, the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Now in Revelation 13, John sees one beast that partakes of the main elements of the three first beasts that are represented in Daniel chapter 7. Fundamentally, we have the very same thing. In this connection, we have to pay special attention to the fourth beast. The fourth beast in Daniel's vision. The beast that is especially dreadful. Verse 19, Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron, and his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamp the residue with his feet. The chapter itself repeatedly distinguishes this beast from the other three beasts. That's plain, first of all, from the fact that this beast is unidentifiable. He isn't compared to any beast that we know from creation. Not a lion, not a leopard, not a bear, not any other beast. He's indescribable, really. The fourth beast 
in comparison to the other three is especially dreadful, terrible, and strong. Those teeth of his, of iron, those claws of his, of brass, his stamping and his devouring. And he has horns, ten horns, and an eleventh, that little horn that supplants three of the other horns. We've already identified the fourth beast historically to be Rome, the last of the Old Testament anti-Christian kingdoms. But there's more here than just Rome, a lot more than just Rome. Rome does not take up the total significance of this last beast. Especially significant in this beast is that little horn. From everything we're told in the chapter about the little horn, that little horn is Antichrist. The little horn is Antichrist. That he is the final manifestation of Antichrist is plain from the fact that this little horn arises on the fourth beast. There's no other beast after him. This is it. End of story. In the second place, that he is the final manifestation of Antichrist at the end of the world is plain from what we read in verse 8. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. And again in verse 20, and of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. That's a description of ultimate pride, a posture that is set stoutly against God, that blasphemes the name of God. The great things that it speaks with its mouth are not great things about God, but about itself. That this represents the final Antichrist is plain also from what we read in verse 25. And he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of times. The duration of the reign of this little horn indicates that this is Antichrist. Time, times, 
two more times, and the dividing of times, three and a half. That represents half of the history of the world. Seven being the history of the whole world, half of it. Old Testament, half of it, New Testament. And that, by the way, corresponds exactly to what we read about Antichrist in Revelation 13, verse 5. The duration of the reign of Antichrist there is 42 months. Three years, 36 months, plus six more months equals 42 months. Three and a half times Two more times the dividing of times. The duration of his reign is identical to the beast in Revelation 13. He is Antichrist. From the description of these beasts, and especially the last, we learn something of their character. The outstanding thing we learn is that Antichrist is bloodthirsty. We learn several things about the character of Antichrist. From the chapter, we learn in the first place that Antichrist will be a great universal political power. The Antichrist will also be a religious power. Scripture teaches that. He will be known for his opposition against the true religion, against Jesus Christ and the cause of Jesus Christ. But he will not only be a religious entity, he will also be a political Power. That's Antichrist. That fits with the historical types of Antichrist. All of them were political power. They were religious powers too. For the most part, claiming worship for themselves. But they were primarily political powers. That's in keeping with the fact that they come up out of the sea, both in Daniel 7 and in Revelation 13. The sea is the nations, the tumultuous nations, the nations as they struggle among themselves. That's also plain from the fact that that fourth beast has horns, horns. The horns of an animal are its weapons. They're for offense and for defense. They're for fighting. They're for goring your enemies. They're weapons of war. That's true of Antichrist. That's what he will do against the church against the saints of the Most High. 
the angel himself in the vision interprets the beasts and the horns as kings and kingdoms. That's verses 17, and that's repeated in verse 24. The political power that Antichrist will exercise will be worldwide. The extent of his rule will be from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth. The whole world will be subject to him. That's verse 23. The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms and shall devour the whole, the whole earth and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. The goal of so many in our world today will be achieved a one world government, a ruler who exercises dominion over the entire earth. The Antichrist will be that man. Every aspect of the life of the citizens of this world will be subject to him. Economics, politics, education, science, medicine, the home, the family. It will all be under his rule. He will control buying and selling, commerce and trade. He will possess the power to slay anyone who dares to resist him or to challenge his rule. He will be a fierce political power. In the second place, it becomes plain from the passage that the Antichrist himself is going to be a single individual, a male, a man. The power of Antichrist is going to be concentrated in one man. The historical types of Antichrist were individual men. And that will be true of the final Antichrist. Verse 24, And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them. And he, he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue one man who will be the beast. In the third place, the power which the Antichrist will claim for himself will be divine power. That's plain from the fact, first of all, that he claims for himself all power. God doesn't give to government all power. God gives to government limited power. Power in a certain sphere. The Antichrist is going to presume all power unto himself. In the second place, that's plain from the fact that Antichrist will claim divine power. That's Daniel's description of him in verse 25 when he says he will think to change times and laws they shall be given 
into his hand. He shall think to change times and laws, some of the most fundamental laws that God has built into this creation. Some of the basic laws concerning human sexuality, for example, under assault in our society and in our world today, this is precursor to Antichrist. That the Antichrist will claim divine power for himself is plain from Daniel's description that he will set aside the law of God and set himself up as the law. The Antichrist will think to change times and laws, God's laws, the Ten Commandments. He will say, not God's will is to be what you honor. My will is what you must honor. He will say, not what God says is to be regarded as true, but what I say, no matter what I say, that's the truth. And he will make the most outrageous claims for himself. He will claim, God is not God. I am God. God's son is not to be looked on as your savior. I am your savior. God's word is not to be the standard for your life in the world. My word is to be. You are not to seek God's heavenly kingdom. You are to seek my earthly kingdom. That's the future. That's what's coming. That's what's coming. For us, for our children. But the most outstanding characteristic of this Antichrist, this beast, is his bloodthirstiness. His bloodthirstiness for the blood of the saints. He will persecute God's people. That's verse. 21, I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them from every outward appearance, prevailed against them. That's also verse 25, and he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. High, the saints. He will persecute the saints over and over again. The saints, the saints, the saints in this chapter. They who live in holiness of life. They who honor, not the will of man, but the will of God. They who live, not for themselves, but for the glory of God. He hates them. He will get rid of them. He will destroy them. That's his aim. The blood of the saints.
especially for that reason that he's pictured throughout the chapter as a beast. He isn't a cute little puppy or a soft, cuddly kitten. He's a beast, a ravenous, bloodthirsty, carnivorous beast. The point here is not so much that the power of the rulers of our time and of long ago is that they are beasts of prey with respect to each other, aggressors that gobble up their political opponents and the kingdoms that surround them, like the bloodthirsty Soviet leader Putin. True enough, but that's not what the chapter is talking about. It's talking about their aggression against the saints, their aggression against the people of God, exactly because they live as God's saints. This is what the activity of the beasts leads up to. The vision teaches us that the nations will not destroy each other. The world isn't going to end in a nuclear holocaust no matter the fears that are being promoted along those lines today. That's not the future of the world. The vision of Daniel 7 and the rest of Scripture teach us that what the future holds is the rise to power of the man of sin, Antichrist, who will turn on the church and on the saints of God. So severe will his persecution be that the angel says in verse 21 that the beast shall prevail against them. Not ultimately, not really, but it will appear to be so. Although the power of these beasts is great, their end is certain. And their end is destruction. Their ultimate destruction. That destruction is certain. This is the comfort of the people of God. We're not given this vision so that we may tremble with fear at what the future holds, even that, even though that our natural response, we think of what about our children? their grandchildren. But his destruction is certain. Of that, the word of God is clear. And that's the comfort for the people of God, for the saints. We don't have the time, but that destruction is described in verses 9 through 12 of the passage. And again, in verses 26 and 27. Those verses will read. But the judgment shall sit. That's God in judgment. 
They shall take away his dominion, Antichrist's dominion, to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be taken away and shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom, whose kingdom alone is an everlasting kingdom. All dominion shall serve and obey him. Antichrist will be judged. His kingdom will be destroyed. According to verse 11, his body will be given to the burning flame. His days are numbered. Times, times, and the dividing of time. No more. That's it. God has determined his end. Not only will the Antichrist be destroyed and his kingdom taken from him, but the kingdom will be given to the Son of Man and to the saints. Verses 13 and 14. That's the ultimate explanation for the ruin of the kingdom of Antichrist. You think of that. When you come to the Lord's table next Sunday morning, God has given the kingdom not to Antichrist, but to Jesus Christ. And to those who belong to Jesus Christ, the cross, where his body was broken and his blood shed, is the destruction of Antichrist. The cross is the triumph of the Son of God over all the principalities and over all the power. That's the significance of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Victory. Victory in the cross. Victory that will be fully realized when the one whose body was broken and blood shed returns on the clouds in power and great glory calling, our calling in light of the certain victory of our Lord Jesus Christ, our calling is first, not to suppose that all of this is way down the road in the future, it isn't. The spirit of Antichrist doth already now work, the apostle says in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 7, all around us. In our world today, we see, we must see, we must live with our eyes wide open. We must see the rise to power of the Antichrist. All the unrest, the wars and the rumors of wars, World War III, 
Where will it start? Everyone is asking. Three or four different possibilities. Materialism is rampant. Lawlessness of every kind. Pleasure madness. The trampling underfoot of the law of God. Our calling is to live in the present with our eyes fixed on what we know is our future. And our calling in the second place is not to be afraid. Not for our children or our grandchildren either. Don't you know the Ancient of Days is on the throne. Don't you know he's given the kingdom to his son, our Savior, the one who died for us. That's the one who's seated on the throne. The calling is to live in confidence, the confidence of victory now through faith in Jesus Christ, confidence of our victory ultimately when the one on whom now we believe, sight unseen, we will see in the glory of his second coming. Then the calling is to fight, not to be complacent. Daniel doesn't tell us about these beasts simply to satisfy a curiosity, but as an encouragement to us to stand and to fight, to stand for God in the glory of the kingdom of his son in obedience to the law of that kingdom, his word and truth. That's the call. Stand and fight. And then when the kingdom of Antichrist is destroyed, when the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ is realized, we may be sure of a place in that kingdom. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank thee for the assurance of thy preserving grace. We know that so far as the history of this world is concerned, Things are dark, and the darkness is deepening by the day. But thy word is sure. Thy promises will stand and will be realized. And we have the assurance that the one who died for us is seated on the throne at thy right hand. He is the one who will come again in power and will destroy Antichrist. Dismiss us with thy blessing. Return us next week to the table with joy and gladness in our hearts for what thou hast wrought for us in our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.